it almost seems like they're trying to um, turn our brains back into how they functioned when we were ourselves infants, where <laughs> if, you're, if your parents leave the room, you think something crazy has happened because you can't see them. So now they're training parents in the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Well, howdy, guys. Everything you heard there is completely true. This is, in fact, the Lions of Liberty podcast. And I am, in fact, your host and your guide and hopefully your shining beacon of liberty as well, Mark Clare. And this is the 156th episode of this very program. You can find the show notes for today's show over at lionsofliberty.com slash 156. Our show today is sponsored by LibertyManiacs.com, your home for all sorts of awesome political and satirical gear. Use the discount code LIONSOFLIBERTY to get 10% off your entire order. We are also sponsored by Health Excellence Select, an exciting alternative to Obamacare that you need to be looking into. To learn more, head over to LionsOfLiberty.com slash health. My guest today is a syndicated columnist, an author, and a speaker. In 2009, she made headlines for what was seen by many as a controversial decision to let her nine-year-old son ride the New York subway alone. She was even called America's worst mom. What a terrible thing to say. She is the author of Free Range Kids, How to Raise Safe, Self-Reliant Children Without Going Nuts with Worry. She's a regular writer for Reason Magazine, as well as over at her website, freerangekids.com. Lenore Skenazy, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Well, thank you, Mark. Hear me roar. All right. You're the first guest to actually say the word roar in their first sentence. So so I certainly appreciate you playing along with our theme here. There you go. Um, So, Lenore, we'll get into a lot of the issues you speak of, including, you know, the way you raise your children, the way you advocate raising children, as well as some of the issues you've been writing about. But first, I want to get to know you a little bit better. So why don't you just start off telling us how you you sort of got here? Were you always a free range mom or is that something that developed over time after you came into motherhood? Well, uh, before I was a mother, I wasn't a free-range mom, but the uh, I think I was a free-range mom before I coined the term. Um, when I look back at my old columns, I'm a newspaper columnist by trade, I see myself writing articles about like, yes, I let my five-year-old go in the men's room by himself. Does that mean you should arrest me? Yes, I let my seven-year-old play downstairs by himself. Should you arrest me? And then finally, uh, when I wrote a column about letting my nine-year-old take the subway alone, should you arrest me? People basically started saying, yes, yes. And I was (laughs) thrown on all these television shows. And that's how I, um, that's after I let him take the subway by himself, which was something that he had wanted to do. And something that my husband, you never hear him, talked about as the world's worst dad. Um, Why why is that? Why why are you the only one targeted here? Maybe because you wrote the column, I guess. I guess it's because I wrote the column, but also because when we think of parenting, what we're really talking about is moms. And um, anyway, so when when after we let my son, our son, ride the subway alone, and I wrote a column about it, two days later, I was on the Today Show, MSNBC, Fox News, and NPR, showing it sort of spanned um, both sides of everything, uh, defending myself as as not a terrible, uncaring mom. And basically, that's what I've been doing ever since. But I started the blog, Free Range Kids, that weekend um, just to explain, you know, what the great thing about a blog is that you get to say your say. You know, nobody's interrupting you like Ann Curry saying, but what if he died? And I could say like, <laughs> look, at I, if I thought he was going to die um, or that it was even a likely possibility, I wouldn't have done it. I love my son. I love my other son you never hear about. I love safety. I love helmets, car seats, seat belts, mouth guards fire extinguishers, you name it. I love safety. I just, uh, I'm not convinced that our children need a security detail every time they leave the house. And that's basically the premise from from eight years ago about what free range kids is. It's the premise is that our children are not in constant danger. So we don't have to parent like they are. And we certainly don't have to legislate as if they are. Did you find a lot of the media attention that you received to be um, sort of an an attacking nature? I mean, were they really just trying to paint you out as as this crazy old batshit lady who who sends her kids (laughs) off into the wild with, with, you know, no no safety precautions whatsoever? Were there any news outlets that kind of were more really interested in what you had to say? Um, I found both. I mean, obviously, the most sensational uh, news story you can have is that a mom doesn't care about her kid. 
And that gets everybody, you know, this, that lights up the phone lines. Let me just put it that way. It's like, I would never do that. So why should she? And it's like, well, you know, I wouldn't raise my kid exactly the way you're raising your kid anyhow. So why are we weighing in judgment on other people's parenting decisions? Obviously, if I love my kid and I'm doing what I think is best by him and you're doing what you think is best by your kid, that should be that, you know, so long as you're not literally putting them in danger. But if you have this inflated view that every time a child is unsupervised, they are automatically in danger, which is the point that our society is coming to, that an unsupervised child is ipso facto a child in danger, then, of course, you think, well, I don't want my child in danger. Why does she want her child in danger? And so that's, that's what created this sort of backlash of hate against me. So where is this idea in our society? I don't know how recent it really is where it seems like people think that kids cannot do anything at all (laughs) on their own because I was raised not that long ago. I was raised in the 80s. And, uh, you know, I I didn't live in New York City. I lived in the the suburbs of Connecticut. So maybe there's a little difference there. But I was a latchkey kid. I left school. I got dropped off at the bus stop about um, maybe a quarter mile away from my house. I walked home. I let myself Mm -hmm. in. I waited a couple hours for my parents to get home because they had to work and they had to earn money to raise me and keep this home <laughs> existing for me to come back to <laughs> and uh everything was fine Those i understood parents <laughs> i know they're the, they might be the second worst parents right after you <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, but i mean everything was fine i knew safety procedures i knew who to call i knew not to let strangers into the house um you know I, and i knew my neighbors i had neighbors that i could call if anything seemed odd or seemed weird and uh, there was never a problem so is this a different does this attitude that i was raised with not exist anymore is it just is it just more rare i mean wh- where do you think things have started to change uh it's a lot of questions uh, it is it is I, I just throw you everything at you no that's fine yeah the whole kitten caboodle um the the whole idea of unsupervised kids are automatically in danger does seem to be a new one and i've already watched it trying to creep its way into law it, it in some cases it works in some cases uh it's been fought back um the, the things that you mentioned being a latchkey kid how old were you I was probably uh, probably eight nine years old when that started, I, and pr- probably until you know, until all through high school, really, because my parents always worked. Mm-hmm. Maybe not even eight, maybe ten. I mean, somewhere around there. Well, here's the deal: in um, British Columbia recently, there was a case that went to the Supreme Court from that. I guess they call them provinces. <laughs> Shows my ignorance. Um, and a mom had allowed her eight year old son to come home, and he would do his homework, and he would sit inside, and he would have his snack, and that was that. Uh, she was divorced, and the ex husband found out about this, called Child Protective Services, which came in and decided that that was too young, that no eight year old child should ever be alone because, quote, what if the house catches on fire? Unquote. Which is, um, which is, which is a way that we've been sort of trained to think. Um, I call it worst first thinking, coming up with the worst case scenario first and proceeding as if it's likely to happen in any situation. And when the Supreme Court justice heard this case from the mother who said, I thought he'd be fine, and from the social worker who said, but what if something terrible happened? The judge sided with the social worker saying that she had the best interest of the child at heart, which is interesting, I guess more than his own mother. And uh, said that the child could not be unsupervised um, until he was 10. And that no child, in fact, could be unsupervised until they were 10. And to me, uh, this is just as crazy a ruling as you could possibly get in that, first of all, it favors um, a wonk, a, a, you know, a, a lowly bureaucrat, a, a cog in the machine who simply wouldn't do the same with her own kid, deciding how another mother should raise her kid. And it also assumes that te- eight-year-olds are the equivalent of two-year-olds. They can't do anything. They're, they're helpless. And it uses the automatically impossible scenario of what if the house is on fire? Yeah, well, you know what? What if the mom is driving the kid home? And they get T-boned by a Mack truck. What if the mom is walking the child home and they get hit by a drunk driver? I mean, if you're going to go to the worst case scenario, why do you only go to it to prove that the mother should always be with the kid? Lenore, you, you took the words out of my mouth. That was literally the next thing I was going to ask you is, the, you know, the, when we come to these what if scenarios, I mean, if you look statistically, anytime a parent puts their child in a car, they are statistically putting them at some some risk and right. a far more risk than anything else. 
I don't have the statistics of how many kids die in, in fires by themselves, but it, it's got to be less than dying cars. I mean, it's right. Gotta... No, ca- dying in cars is the uh, car passenger is the number one way kids dies in some kind of car accident, even driven by their loving parents. So that's why we get to the idea that it doesn't have to do with reality. It has to do with superstition and maybe. Um, maybe power. (laughs) But the superstition is that somehow if the mother's eyes are upon the child, they are safe. And the second you take the eyes off the child, you have put them in danger. And I have so many examples of this. Let me just give you uh, two. One um, is that any parent who leaves their kid in the car to run an errand is somehow guilty of neglecting the child and putting them at risk, even if the parent makes a decision thinking, you know what, I've got triplets, it's snowing, I must get the medicine, Uh, they're all asleep, I wonder if I should wake them all up, put them all in their uh, snowsuits, since I'm not allowed to have them in their snowsuits in the car seat, because that means that the, um, the, the straps on the car seat aren't compressed tightly enough against the child. So now I have to put three kids into their snowsuits, drag them across the snowy uh, expanse of icy parking lot at night, bring them into the pharmacy, pick up the medicine, because one of them has whooping cough, and then bring them all back uh, safe and sound and strap them all in one by one into their car seats. And that's a good decision. Whereas the mother who parks in front of the pharmacy, the plate glass windows are there, the place is lit, she's going to be in there for five minutes picking up the medicine, and says, okay, I've made a decision. I love my kids. This seems like the safest thing to do. She's completely discounted. Because the law cares more than she does about her kids. And that's what drives me crazy. Since when should the government be making these day-to-day minutia decisions about what we can do with our kids, when we can take them out, when we can let them stay alone, how we can run an errand? Um, in, in Rhode Island, there was a law that was proposed last year by four of the state legislators, and it would have made it illegal for a school bus to drop off a child after school, at the bus stop, um, anybody under seventh grade, so that's anybody under 12 or 13, um, <laughs> unless there was an adult, a pre-approved adult, waiting there to escort them home, no matter how close to the bus stop they lived. So this is this is a crazy idea. <laughs> this is taking the idea that like a 12-year-old, a, an age that was babysitting when I was a kid, and turning them into a helpless infant who must be escorted home even if the mother has 10 other kids at home, even if the mother, God forbid, has a job, imagine that, and expects the kid to walk a block or two home. The the state was willing to say, no, we know better. We care more. We're so afraid of these outlandish dangers, which barely exist, not that there's anything completely danger-free, but we are back at the crime rate of 1963, the crime rate that existed before color Television is the crime rate we are back to in the United States today, the violent crime rate. That does not seem to be the perception that most people have. Most people that I hear say, well, we live in such a dangerous world now. And so where is this perception coming from when the statistics don't seem to speak even remotely close to the reality that most people perceive is, is of the dangers out there? Right. It is a complete um, disconnect between perception and reality. And you're right that when Roper and Gallup do their questionnaires and ask people, is crime going up or down? They always say it's going up. And it went down again another 4.4% um, in 2014. The the perception is coming from the place we get our perceptions. It's coming from the media. And then the media get repeated on, you know, Facebook and at drop-off in the morning. And you keep hearing these stories that are very, very powerful and also very old. Today on my blog, I was writing about every year in Australia. I mean, I hear from people all over this English-speaking world. Um, there's the day for Daniel. And there's a horrible tragedy in 2003, which is a long time ago already, when a, when a boy named Daniel was murdered. And on this day, every year since then, th- what is it, 12 years since then, children are encouraged to wear red and hear the story of Daniel's death. And, and the, the lesson behind it, the, the, the motivation isn't even bad. The motivation is to teach kids you know, to recognize, resist, and report abuse, which is, which is actually good advice. But to tie it to remembering a murder of a child, this mother wrote to me that her five-year-old said, today, mommy, I have to wear red. And the mom thought, okay, just put her in red, didn't know why. And the kid came home and said, Daniel was a little boy, and he never got to see his parents again because he was murdered. And it's like, 
why do we why is this the story that we have to tell our children to tell them the worst case scenario um the most unlikely saddest stories but these are the stories that resonate and and um you know, we, we tell them here all the time. You, you know, how many times have we heard the story of Eitan Patz, who was murdered in 1979? How about Adam Walsh? There's, there's legislation named for him today. He was murdered in 1982, and it's tragic. But generally, the, the, the rule of thumb is by the time there's a law named for a child who died, it's probably a bad law because it was passed trying to do something. You know, you feel so terrible. You got to do something to make the, the death meaningful, to make it so that it's not just a one-off tragedy that makes no sense because we can't deal with that misery. And so we pass laws that get ever more draconian because we, we feel like we're doing something to honor the dead and to save children. And it's really just to, um, just to deal with our own, the, the fact that we can't deal with the, the with life's fragility and the fact that it is not perfect and some random things happen. We are really ill-equipped to deal with reality and we almost insist on 100% safety, which is why when you go through the TSA, they will, they patted me down today. I had to go to the airport. They patted me down today. I mean, I, I'm this middle-aged lady just schlepping through. I've taken off my shoes. I've taken out my computer. I've put away my purse, and I'm still. And I've gone through the scatter thing, and I'm still patted down because nothing is safe enough. You know, it's made, my girlfriend goes through the same thing. She doesn't want to be patted down, so she goes through the scanner, and then half the time they pat her down anyway. So, I mean, it's it seems like they just they go through precaution after precaution after precaution. Mm-hmm. And we're getting a little off subject here, but that's okay. That's what happens on no, the no, show. No, no, no. That is that is not off subject at all. The idea is that somehow we can achieve absolute perfect safety in life, in the world, in general, right? And until we do, we can't let our children out. Um, literally you can't let your children outside because people say, well, what if something bad happened? That's why they were proposing that law in Rhode Island that parents wait at the bus stop in cold, cold Rhode Island, um, to take their children home at three in the afternoon when the sun is out, when your child is 11, you still have to escort them home because nothing else. I mean, like, well, what if something bad happened when your parent wasn't there? Well, let's just make all the parents there. That's where we're going to a total surveillance society. You're not safe if your child isn't watched either by you directly because you're with them or, um, you know, with some kind of GPSing device. And I got to think that's just difficult for many parents just on a practical level, because especially in today's day and age, you know, people are working less, people are making less compared to how how much things cost. It's got to be really hard for two parents to only have one working nowadays. So, I mean, it it might be difficult for most parents to even have someone just waiting there to pick up their kid. It doesn't make any sense to have somebody there picking up their kid. I mean, if... What is what is the point? The point is to assume that the child is in such grave danger that they need an escort, um, parent or not, working or not. Uh, what you're telling children is that something that children do all over the world starting at age seven and that all of us did. If you read this book from the 80s when you were a kid called Your, Your Six-Year-Old Loving and Defiant, which is true pretty much of every child. But anyway, it said it just gave... On one page, and it was sort of a one-off, it just said, okay, of course, by age six, your kid should be able to, and I can't remember, like, you know, count to 10 and maybe do some little teeny basic math and tie their shoes. And, of course, they can walk, you know, around eight blocks around the neighborhood and get themselves home for dinner. And that was just the assumption that a normal child would be part of the world. And now the assumption is that the normal child should not be part of the world and that the parents have to drive them to the bus stop and that you have to background check the bus driver and maybe there should be RFID tags on the bus so parents can track the bus when they get to work and they can watch it, you know, make its way to Cherry Valley High on their computer and then they can be relieved, quote-unquote, when they see that their child's RFID tag has entered the school. And then during the school day, you find out, you know, have they eaten lunch? I mean, there are really programs here in New York City. There's programs that will tell you what your child is doing in each class, how they're doing on each quiz. Um, There are schools now that are putting cameras in each classroom. And there are certainly daycares that do this and camps do this to show you your child during the day. And this is all based on a really corrosive idea that if you can't see your child, something tragic could be happening and you will regret it for the rest of your life and so you better just keep a bead on that kid all day long that's that's a completely new way of looking at the world and you know i mean i wish 
I wish Big Brother hadn't been used as a um, an example for every other kind of uh, surveillance our society is doing because that's really what we're suggesting now with kids. You watch them when they leave the house, when they get on the bus, when they get into school, when they take the quiz, when they eat their lunch, when they get off the bus, when they come through the door, and then um, any other time that they're going anywhere, you are expected to either be with them or have provided a... Um, you know, some kind of supervisor for them in an after-school program, or you should be watching them electronically. It almost seems like they're trying to um, turn our brains back into how they functioned when we were ourselves infants, where <laughs> if, if your parents leave the room, you think something crazy has happened because you can't see them. So now they're training parents in the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. All right, well, you can, you can give me credit in your next speech for that one. I will. That's a good <laughs> idea. I mean, I always think of it as like sort of the other extreme, which is that they're trying to tell us that we must be God. Somehow you must be omniscient of everything that's going on in your child's life, and you must be omnipotent to to stop it, to intervene. Uh, there are so many products that get pitched to me because I'm on some list of like influential mommy bloggers. Actually, I'm followed by far more men than women, but okay, I'm on the influential mommy blogger list. And so people are always sending me um, products that they're trying to sell. And there are so many that, quote, will allow you peace of mind as you watch every stroke of the keyboard that your child is making. And so you're not, so they're not stalked and they're not sexed and they're not lured and they're not bullied. And it's like, with every keystroke, first of all, the, the, the last thing you'll feel is more calm, I'm sure. The last thing I want to do is see my kids' texts. Oh, my God. I, I don't even want to be on Instagram with them. <laughs> um, but it is this very um, completely false idea that uh, if you could only know everything that was going on in your child's life, that's the only time you'll be able to feel um, peace of mind. When actually, if you think about our parents and your parents who let you stay home in the afternoon, they felt peace of mind because they trusted you. And you don't feel peace of mind if you literally think that you have to read each text or your kid is going to be preyed upon or become a predator of some sort. And if you feel like you have to watch them from a camera or listen to them on a, on a microphone or read their emails all the time, that's the opposite of of peace of mind, and yet that's what it's peddled as. And, of course, you don't feel peace of mind, and then they can peddle you something else. And we'll look for the words bully or you dopey poo-poo head in your child's <laughs> email and alert you to all of those. It's almost like they're training parents to act as our government is acting in, yeah, any, in many ways with, with NSA spying, where yes. if, you're, if, we're, if we're not being watched at all times, well, who knows what we might be doing? We might be cooking up bombs in our mm -hmm. basements mm -hmm. or, you know, plotting all sorts of terrible things mm -hmm. upon the world. So you better just watch everybody just to be safe. That's the phrase you always hear. And it seems to apply to, uh, you know, the, the attitude that uh, how what role do schools play in this? Because it seems like there's a large role that the public schools are playing. You mentioned how there's these rules being put in place that parents must be there to pick up the child at the bus stop. So what, what role is, is the, I guess, the way that our schools are, are training children and training parents? What, mm -hmm. what role does that play in all this? Well, the thing that always irks me here in New York City when I go to uh, the schools for any reason is that I cannot walk into the public school. I must be background checked. Well, some places you have to be background checked. Um, one, one kid went to a high school, one of my kids went to a high school where they would take your license and put it into a machine. And if I came up as a registered sex offender or any other kind of past government uh, interventions in my life, uh, these would show up. Now, that means that anybody who mooned <laughs> when they were 12 could end up as, you know, as a registered sex offender for the rest of their life. You could be a teenager with another teenager and have consensual sex, and you could end up on the sex offender list for the rest of your life, as a friend of mine has. And so, first of all, you can't even get in to some schools. Secondly, then there are the schools where they're just doing this security theater of somehow by writing down my name and my address, and they always get it wrong. They always think my middle name is my name, whatever because of the way my, my ID is printed, somehow this has made children safer. I frankly don't know how. <laughs> how has that made them safer? The fact that you've written down my name in a book <laughs> and, um, and now I'm going into the school. So there's just the, you know, the usual genuflecting towards if only we know everything that's going on, everybody would be safer. But I feel bad for schools in a way because they're also torn between perhaps wanting to give the kids some independence and worrying about their insurance. Uh, in Richland, Washington, 
the school district has decided to get rid of all the swings on the playgrounds because swings are the most dangerous equipment. Um, of course they are because I'm sure there's no teeter-totters or merry-go-rounds left because <laughs> those were probably taken out in other years. But, you know, whether they believe in swings or not, and I really can't imagine a principal who doesn't believe in swings, out they go because they're afraid of, you know, now that they know that they're officially dangerous, what if somebody gets hurt? They could, you know, the parent could sue. And then where will they be? So there's this conundrum, which is that even if you do want to let kids do things on their own, um, let them walk home from school, some principals won't let you. Some school districts won't let the kids walk home from school until this age or that age, fifth grade, I heard today from one lady, because they feel that by dismissing the child without an adult to escort them home, that they would be found guilty if the kid got hit by a car or, or worse. So, you know, there's just everybody's afraid of what if the very, very worst thing happens. And to be able to sort of square your shoulders and say, there's no such thing as perfect safety. We take chances every day. You get out of bed, you're taking your chance. You, you go into a bathtub, you could slip and die. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to take a shower, for God's sake. And I'm going to drive my kid. And I'm going to let her walk after school. And I'm going to let them play soccer, even though they could get hit by a ball. Or baseball, they could get hit by a ball. You know, you just, you have to say that, you just sort of have to realize that this idea of absolute safety is um, going to drive you mad. Lenore, we talk about all the safety measures that schools are putting in place and, and the rules and, and the, the change in sort of the, I guess, the attitude taken in schools towards children. But from from a lot of the things you blog about, you know, you talk a lot about a bit, about the zero tolerance issue in schools where normal childlike activity is now being treated as, I mean, in the best case, something that kids need to be suspended for. And in the worst case, sometimes arrested for. And mm-hmm. I just want to touch on a couple of the issues that you've recently blogged about um, over at Reason.com. And one of them here, I mean, a lot of this just seems like normal childlike behavior. Mm-hmm. Here we have a 14-year-old girl who was suspended from school for a month. And, is, and the school actually wants to charge her with assault. And her crime here oh, is, yes. thro- is is throwing a baby carrot at her teacher. Now, I, I don't think a kid should throw a baby carrot at her teacher. Right. But the response seems to be so uh, insane. So can you just touch on that for a second? Yeah, sure. First of all, um, this was a teacher she liked. And so it wasn't like she was trying to figure out how to take the eye out of the teacher or how to give her permanent brain damage. It was a baby carrot. And, you know, playfully, she threw it at this teacher in the hall, you know, a teacher that she'd had another year. And so to treat that as if it's an assault is so delusional as to be pretty fascinating. And when you think about a lot of the zero tolerance issues that have come into, um, you know, into the news in the last year or two, they are so delusional. You have to figure out, like, what is going on? I mean, there was the boy who drew a picture of a bomb, the boy with autism, and it's like it was treated like a real bomb. There was, of course, the famous kid who who ate his Pop-Tart into the shape of a gun. When I give lectures on campuses now sometimes, and sometimes just to kids, uh, I bring Pop-Tarts with me, and I have them. I have some kid come up, and I have them try to bite it into the shape of a gun that would look real. And, of course, you know. <laughs> That would be a very talented kid if he could actually do that realistically yeah, with a Yeah, yeah, but I mean what it's really fun is that it says like so there's no way that any human being could ever mistake this for a gun. Just like there was a kid who was suspended because um she she had a piece of paper in the shape of an L. I mean, I guess anything is a gun when you, you know, when you want to see a gun there. So what is this mass delusion that insists on treating um, non-threats as threats. And it really does remind me of sort of the TSA. You know, we're going to take away, I'm still mad they took away my peanut butter, my unopened peanut butter, because it was a liquid and I insisted it wasn't a liquid. But what what delusion are we um, living under when we've decided that we can't be too safe to the point where where we've, where we can almost imagine a Pop-Tart or a, or a or peanut butter, or a piece of paper being dangerous. I mean, it's it's such a weird moment. It's so magical. It's like, because I can imagine something bad happening, it could happen. I mean, one of the sort of weird things I keep trying to grope towards is this idea that somehow we think that we have so much control over the world 
that we must have absolute control. And um, so if anything bad ever happens to a kid, it's because we weren't in control enough. And that is such a terrifying idea to us that we redouble our efforts to control everything. And we want to watch them all the time. We want to hear everything they say. We want to read everything they write. We want to censor anything they do. And we want to react um, so, so prophylactically that even the picture of a bomb is treated as if it could go off. I mean, it's, it's this, like, giving godlike powers to people is a bad idea because we're not God. And it makes us feel both um, too nervous and too all-powerful. And we, uh, like the government, <laughs> we overreact to um, extremely minor, uh, non-existent dangers. Now you mentioned a sex offender issue before and how easy it is to become a sex offender. And there's another, another mm-hmm. article you wrote I want to touch on here just because it's, it's just so tragic how some of this stuff happens. This is one about uh, this 19-year-old kid. He met a girl who, who claimed she was 17 on a dating app. They had relations, had sexual relations one time. And next thing you know, it turns out she's 14 years old. He's given he's, He spends 90 days in jail. He can't use the cell phone or the internet or anything. And he's looking at facing 25 years on the sex offender registry for this. What is a consensual act? Now, I mean, I, I think the, the issue of consent and age is a very difficult one because there's not a day, a moment when we can say, okay, now this child, this human can fully make these decisions for themselves. But to me, if you're if you're a, a, someone who's able to lie about their age, yeah, then, really. you, <laughs> then you have some sort of cognizance about the law and about consent. So you've, you've made a decision at that point. So there's, there's some issue there. But regardless... Clearly, this is not an actual rapist. He is not an actual sex offender, and yet right. he's looking at his life being completely ruined over this. Right. And of the 850,000 people, that's close to a million people, who are on the sex offender registry now, a quarter of them got on as minors. Um, and that's because minors have sex with other minors, because people have sex with people about the same age as them. And we have such incredibly arcane, weird laws. There was a case in Utah where I think it was a 14-year-old girl and a 13-year-old boy or maybe a 13- and 12-year-old, and they were both found guilty of being sex offenders, and they were both each other's victims. <laughs> so, I mean, we are just wrapping ourselves up in this crazy thing. My, my favorite case was um, a 17-year-old who sent a picture of himself to his girlfriend, and somehow the picture got into the hands of the authorities. And not only did they arrest the boy, um, for just sending a picture of himself. But, of course, they're going to charge him as a child pornographer because he was underage. But to make sure it was him, they took a picture of his penis, and then, hey, guess what? It wasn't in the same shape. So then they were going to take him to the hospital and give him a drug that would give him an erection and take another picture. But thank God the Washington Post (laughs) found out this story and uh, it exploded uh, before they actually dragged the kid in to do this. And it's like... That is insane. It is insane. And who's who's the child pornographer here? <laughs> Not the police dragging the kid. They, they literally <laughs> wanted to give a child an erection and take a picture of it. And then he's the one being charged right, with so it. So that, that they could charge him disturbing. with being a child pornographer. So there's something outrageously wrong with our laws. And... As you say, I'm not sure what age you want to consider the age of consent, but I can guarantee you that if there's a 17-year-old with a 14-year-old or even a 19-year-old with a 14-year-old who says she's 17, um, none of that is is rape. If it's two consenting teenagers and they're post-puberty, okay, tell them not to do it again. Uh, you know, make them sit through a boring sex ed video, Um you know, ground them for a week, whatever you want to do. But uh, what I think of my great grandmother was 15 when she got married. And I guess my great grandfather would have been behind bars if we had had today's sex offender laws instead of allowing people to have the relations that they choose to have that are not bothering anyone. And um, I think our sex offender laws are, are draconian. The, uh, the amount of time people get, you can get 10 years for mooning. I mean, I just found that out from reading oh, a boy. story about <laughs> a parole officer explaining this to, she goes around to um, middle schools in Iowa because she wants them to know that if you send a sext, if you moon, you know, if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, it doesn't matter. If, you have a seven, if you're a 17-year-old and you have a 14-year-old girlfriend, that's fine until the day you turn 18 when suddenly you're a rapist. <laughs> so there's something obviously wrong with these laws and there's 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 nobody can 
can dial them back because if you say, look at our sex offender laws are crazy and they are jeopardizing the future of so many wonderful, normal people, um, your opponent can say, oh, my opponent wants sex offenders to run free. And um, yes, I do want a lot of those people on the sex offender list to run free. I don't want them to remain on a registry, which, which makes you, every time you see a dot on a map, a sex offender map, you think, oh my God, there's a child rapist. And the majority... Um, actually don't pose any threat to children at all. Did you know this, that the recidivism rate is is the lowest except for sex offenders whom everyone thinks have like, a, 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 you know, an insatiable um, need to rape actually have uh, the lowest recidivism rate other than murderers. And of the 5 to 11% of people who do end up back in prison from the sex offender list, 80% of them, so now we're getting down to very, very few people, um, are there because of some parole violation, not because they had sex with somebody they weren't supposed to. So we are vilifying um, a, an enormous group of people who don't pose a threat to our children. Instead of teaching kids what I teach kids, which is the three R's, recognize, nobody can touch where your bathing suit covers, resist, run, scream, kick if anybody bothers you, and report. Recognize, resist, report if somebody is bothering you, if somebody tells you to keep a secret. Don't. I'm your mom. I won't get mad at you. Just tell me what happened. I promise nothing bad will happen to you and I'll make things better. And if you do those three things, you're going to keep your kids so much safer, considering 95% of all abuse is at the hands of somebody they know and not some guy down the street who's a dot on the map. That is going to keep children safer. And it's also going to keep children safer so they don't end up on the sex offender list for having a girlfriend who's 14 when they're 16. Wow, Lenore, what would you say to parents or maybe soon-to-be parents who are listening now and, and they hear you and they say, you know, I want to raise free-range kids too. I, would, I don't want to be this overbearing big brother parent who's watching my kids at school and, and, and looking at their texts and all this stuff. But at the <laughs> same time, I do have some fear for the world. I do worry about what my kids are going to encounter out there. I mean... I mean, who doesn't worry for their kids? Right? Sure, but I mean, I'm curious, do you, do you homeschool your kids or do they go through public school? No, no, no. My kids go to public school here in New York City. One's in college now. And um, there's no such thing. I mean, I think one of the um, the ideas that's making us so nervous is the idea that we should be without any nervousness at all, that we should feel completely at ease, that there should be complete peace of mind with whatever our kids are doing. That's That's a new idea, and it's impossible. I mean, like... You know, your parents knew you were coming home from school. You were going to be at home. Were you perfectly safe? What if there was a burglar? What if there was a fire? What if there was a rabid dog who followed you home? I mean, there's there's never been an ability to be completely safe and completely calm when it comes to our kids. And I knew what to do in each of those scenarios because that was <laughs> stuff we were discussed that was discussed with me. It wasn't just like, all right, well, we'll just let him start coming home and we'll never talk mm-hmm. about safety or anything. I mean, obviously my parents sat down with me and I imagine like you, yourself, I imagine you did the same thing with your son when he went on his subway trip to in New York City that that fateful day. That fateful day, that unfaithful day. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think uh, here's the the only thing that I've really seen that works and it works remarkably well um in terms of making parents feel sort of confident enough in their own kids and in their own parenting to let them have some independence. And it's the thing I call the Free Range Kids Project, and anybody can look at it. It's on my site. You go to freerangekids.com. There's a little bar across the top, FRK Project, Free Range Kids Project, and it's this. Um, And it it works for kids of school age, which is that the teachers tell the kids, um, go home and think of one thing that you feel you're ready to do Um, that for one reason or another you haven't done yet, and ask your parents if you can do it. And it could be as simple as a kindergartner wants to make her own lunch, or a first grader wants to walk the dog, uh, somebody wants to walk to school on their own, catch the bus, go pick up their younger brother from school, um, go to soccer on their own. Something that in another era, any other era, uh, it wouldn't have been considered a project. It would have been considered a daily routine, real life, no big deal. Um, And because it is a project proposed by the school, so it's endorsed by an authority, and because it is a one-shot deal, if you don't like it or you feel too nervous, you can't deal with it, fine. You just have to do it this once. Many of the parents, I'd say most of the parents, say yes. I'm so excited. My my kid's old middle school um, has just decided to do this project for all the middle schoolers. 
here in New York City. Yeah. So um, the thing is that when the kids come home and they they burst through the door and they're so happy, they finally got to ride their bike to their friend's house or they they ran a lemonade stand or they got their own haircut or they went and bought a book or they got to the library, whatever. They come home and they're they're excited and they're hungry and they're flushed and they're they're thrilled. And just like my kid when he came home from his subway ride, it's like, look, I did it. It was so fun. And you guys met this guy and whatever it is, they're telling you the story. And Parents are hardwired to love seeing their kids grow up. It's only recently that we've been told the only good feeling is when we keep them very close and sort of an embryo form. When the kid bursts through the door and you see that they're growing up and they're competent and they did something on their own, probably something you did at their age, that's the most transformative thing I've seen. It's the only transformative thing I've seen. The parents' pride and joy, the fact that they can't stop smiling at their kid, replaces the fear and then they go on and people change after that day time and again i've seen it just like it's such a simple easy thing and it's because the fear is what's superimposed and the reality is that your kid is going to be fine and that if something does go wrong it's usually not drastically wrong they tripped they got lost they got they they went out of their way and they took too long at the at the bookstore but it's not the end of the world and that's what you'll see and you'll see your kid growing up And you will feel the pride that parents have felt forever, which is like, look, that's my boy or that's my girl. So just look at my site, go to the Free Range Kids Project, consider bringing it to your school, to your principal, and asking if your school could do it. It's it's free. For God's sake, there's there's nothing, there's there's no money involved, there's no nothing involved. It just changes your life. Well, Lenore, you echo a lot of my thoughts on these issues, and uh, I'm not a parent, though. I don't have kids, so I can't really speak from any position of authority on this, and that's why I was glad to have you on the show to discuss with us today. Mm-hmm. Really do appreciate it. And uh, before I let you go, is there anything else you'd like to plug, anything else you'd like to mention? And uh, feel free to run through anything else you'd like to tell our listeners about. Okay, there's two things. Um, one is that also on my site, which is freerangekids.com, at the top there's something called the Bill of Rights. And um, and it's a Bill of Rights that I would like to see passed in in a city, a town, a state, and eventually the United States of America. And it is one sentence long. And the sentence is this. Our children have the right to some unsupervised time, and we have the right to give it to them without getting arrested. And that would solve a lot of problems. Kids who want to stay home alone, kids who parents who want to let their kids walk to school or walk home from the park, moms who want to let their kids wait in the car while they run in and pick up the pizza. None of that would be criminalized. If the parent decided that this makes sense for me and my kid, that would be that. Obviously, if you're putting the kid in grave danger, that's another story. But if it's a rational decision made by a loving parent, that's the end. No Child Protective Services gets involved. Um, the other thing I'd like to say is that uh, I blog every day, so look at Free Range Kids, and um, and I give a lot of talks. I go around the country, and um, I've spoken around the world. I've spoken in Bulgaria <laughs> and and other places, <laughs> less weird than Bulgaria. Um, giving uh, my talks on, I give a talk on how we got so afraid for our kids. I have a talk about why we think we can create perfect kids. I have a, uh, have a talk about the benefits of free time and free play, and I speak to companies, corporations. Um, places that talk about work-life balance because it's a lot easier to balance your work and your life if you don't think you have to bend over backwards for your kids all the time. Kids deserve some of this free time, and when they have free time, so do you. And you can use it at work or you can use it at play, but you don't have to be doing quite as much, quite as intensively for your kids as society is is telling us we do. So if you're interested in having me come give a talk, uh, if you go to freerangekids.com and you look at speaking, at the top, speaking engagements, uh, you'll find all sorts of information there. And it's a very, very funny talk. Well, Norris Ganesi, thank you so much once again for joining me here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks for having me. You got it. Take care, Lenore. Bye-bye. All right, guys. And just like my guest Lenore Skenazy did at the top of the show, I too have some things to roar about. I'm going to do that in a minute in the last roar. But first, I need to take a minute to tell you about our sponsors, starting with Liberty Maniacs. Now, if you have kids or you're raising kids or you're about to have kids, Liberty Maniacs is a place for you too because they actually have a kids t-shirt section, including the really cool George Carlin Was Right shirt. So I'm a fan of that. 
And if I do have a kid, I plan to immediately dress him in some Liberty Maniacs gear from our good friend, Dan McCall. Again, you can head over to libertymaniacs.com slash pages slash lions to get directly to our discount page. Or you can just go place your order and use the discount code, all one word, Lions of Liberty. That's libertymaniacs.com. And guys, I know you've been hearing me talk about Health Excellence Select if you're a fan of this show for some time. And many of you might be thinking, well, that's nice. It sounds cool. But hey, I've got my insurance through my employer. So no worries. And it might be no worries if you don't have a a tough time with your health. Hopefully you won't, but a lot of you are going to see some worries pretty soon because these premiums are skyrocketing thanks to many of the regulations from the ACA, from Obamacare, and employers are going to start responding. Many employers are already starting to cut back on their plans, to have to switch to different plans. Many plans are still being dropped and altered due to new regulations that are rolling in. It's really becoming tough for a lot of people out there to keep their current health insurance despite the problems. But there is, as I've mentioned, an amazing alternative, utilizing health sharing, where people voluntarily cover each other's medical costs. And if you do have kids, it's going to be hard for you to find a better plan than the one offered by Health Excellence Select. You can insure a family of five for $4.99. And if you're a single guy, you can do it for $2.49 with all sorts of stuff in between. But either way, you're going to have a much lower deductible. Even a family of five is only going to have a $1,500 deductible before they receive coverage. A single person is going to have a $500 deductible. I mean, for me, I had I was facing a seven dollars or $8,000 deductible from my Obamacare-approved plan. And to me, I mean, that's all money you've got to spend before you see a dime back. Not the case at all with Health Excellence Select. So I really do encourage you to look more into this, to take this time now that it is the open enrollment period where a lot of you are going to have that decision to make about your health care. Please do yourself a favor and look into Health Excellence Select. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash health, or you can directly call my representative, my good friend Jeff Cantor. He can be reached at 440-283-6849. Tell him Lions of Liberty sent you. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed my discussion there with Miss Lenore Skenazy, someone who has become somewhat famous for her parenting style, for her parenting methods, or perhaps infamous, depending on your perspective. But the the issues that we discussed today with Lenore, they really do ring true in in all aspects of our society. Now, this is a subject I've wanted to tackle on this show for a while, that the subject of, of children and raising children, especially in our modern society, where we have this idea that the world is so dangerous. You know, we, we hear about terrorism, we hear about gun violence, we hear about all these terrible things in the world. And yet, if you actually look at the statistics, if you actually look at the trends, crime has been dropping rapidly, violent crime. So we're not really reacting in a way that reflects reality when we put a lot of these things into place. Whether it's restrictions on our children, whether it's spying on our children, essentially, or whether it's restrictions at, say, the TSA, whether it's spying on Americans from the NSA. You see, this attitude is pervasive, and this attitude affects all aspects of our lives, whether it's just the raising of our children or whether it's, you know, the raising of ourselves, the raising of our fellow man and our freedom to travel and enjoy the world as we should be allowed as free human beings. Now, again, I am not a parent. Well, I do have two Huskies, so I like to think I'm some kind of a parent. But, you know, I I don't raise kids, so I'm not going to come around preaching about how people need to raise their kids. Obviously, every aspect of raising one's children is something for them to make with their spouse and, and with the best interest of their child in heart. But there does certainly seem to be a trend, especially in our public schools, of overreacting to many things. And we talked about a couple of examples here. I mean, this kid, this 14-year-old kid who tossed you know, a, a raw carrot at her teacher is now being seen as a criminal, essentially. Someone who might have a felony label for the rest of her life if the school has their way. You have a kid who, who had sexual relations with someone younger than him. He thought they were only two years younger. He thought it was totally legal. And yet they want to put this kid on a sex registry for the next 25 years. And luckily, in an in update to that story it looks like that the sex registry part of that will be dropped so but he's still facing a hell of a time over this issue and these are not uncommon cases if you, if you follow Lenore Skenazy's blog over at Free Range Kids follow her writing at Reason and we'll link to a few of these articles you will see that these are very common occurrences she writes about this stuff four or five six times a month and there's no shortage of stories out there and I'm sure she's only getting to a small percentage of them so this really does seem to be a pervasive problem in our school systems and I, and I really think it is all tied 
tied together to this attitude we have about the world, the skewed attitude about what the world is, about how dangerous it is. And certainly there are dangers in the world, but I mean, had things really changed that drastically from, say, the 1800s? And I'm going to link to this post here. It's from something called the Morse Society, and they have a little blog post here about you know different generations and what things were like. And they talk about in the 1800s, I mean, you had six and eight-year-olds working in mills, working in factories, running errands, making deliveries, doing all these things, going to school on their own, walking two or three miles. I mean, you always hear, back in my day, I, were, I walked 25 miles to school in the snow. And that might be an exaggeration for many, but it's true. Many kids did used to walk many, many miles to school back in the day, especially before they were, you know, horse and buggies and cars and all that great stuff. I don't know how many kids still go to school in horse and buggies, but who knows? I mean, and a lot of times these kids' teachers were 14 and 15-year-olds themselves. And now we're at a point where we're treating 14 and 15-year-olds basically as infants, basically as people who cannot even, you know, cannot do anything for themselves in the world, cannot defend themselves, cannot think properly, cannot handle things if things go awry, uh, do not know how to act if a stranger approaches them, do not know how to act if there's a fire in the house. And the fact is, I mean... When you're a child, when you're 10, 12, 14 years old, you're not an invalid. You have intelligence. You have the ability to reason. And if you treat your children as adults, I I firmly believe they're going to be able to act as adults in in many ways. And again, I'm not one to preach about how to raise children. I'll let Lenore Skenazy do that. But please do check out her work. I think she's doing some fabulous stuff over at freerangekids.com. If you enjoy interviews like the one you just heard, please do subscribe to this podcast, whether it's on iTunes, whether it's on Stitcher Radio, and please do go give us a rating and a review in either of those forums. These are the things that will really help get the show out in front of more people at no cost to yourself. You can, of course, support our sponsors. You can support us by clicking on our Amazon link over on the right-hand side of our website at lionsofliberty.com. won't cost you a dime more just to buy the things you normally buy through there by supporting us. There are so many ways to hear the show, of course. You can hear us on the weekends on libertytalk.fm every single Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern throughout the week on the Liberty Radio Network, LRN If you are enjoying the show and want to take it to another level, want to communicate with us, want to discuss the interviews that you hear, you can do so over on Facebook in the Lions of Liberty Forum. Just plug that into your little search bar. It is our private discussion group. Go and ask to be approved, and I will let you right on in as long as you don't look too darn creepy. You can, of course, follow our normal Facebook page, facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. Hit us up over on the Twitter, at Lions of Liberty. So many ways to connect with us. You can even drop me a personal email, Mark, M-A-R-C. That's M-A-R-C, guys. I get really stickly about this when people put a K in my name. M-A-R-C at LionsofLiberty.com. And this coming Thursday, my God, it's like they just will not end. But as long as these debates keep going, we're going to keep doing reaction shows for them. So there is another GOP debate tomorrow night, if you're listening here when this show drops on Monday. And we are going to immediately record a reaction show, as we always do. And we will post that puppy Thursday for your listening pleasure. There will also be another Democratic debate this coming Saturday on the 14th. We're going to try to cover that one as well. Follow us at lionsofliberty.com where we plan to live blog. Follow us on Twitter for all our tweets about the debate. And come back for our reaction shows. So if you don't want to miss them, again, be sure to subscribe to the show. Till then, folks, live long and live free. Free range, that is. Head of editing and mastering is John Dobbert. Contact Johnny53 at gmail.com. <laughs>